0: And uh, we, we've managed to get up to chapter 3. So we're just going to read the whole of chapter 3 just to, to get that context. Um, so it'll be on the screen if you've got it on your devices or if you have a Bible with you. I encourage you to, to have somewhere a Bible on your person. It's always good to have. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone But God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are His house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says... That's a quote from Psalm 95. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by, God's, uh, by sin's deceitfulness. And we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as has just been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all who, who those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Mmm, I heard that. Mm. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Bible, your word. We want to be a people of word and spirit. We thank you for all that we learn of you through the scriptures, how we see you and encounter you. We pray your blessing as we just look at this passage. Teach us, we pray. Apply to our hearts by your Spirit those things you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've heard of the phrase generational cohorts. Maybe not. Have you heard of baby boomers? Millennials. Oh, you have. Gen X. Generation Z. Okay. I wonder which generation are you. Okay. Dr. Alexis Abramson, an expert apparently in what are known as generational cohorts, say that we define generations because when you are born affects your attitudes your perceptions, your values, and your behaviors. All generations have different traits. So we've just got a list of some generations. Which ones are you? We have the silent generation. This was the first defined generational group by these folk who, who do this. It refers to those born between 1926 and 1945, those who lived through World War II. And the name actually comes from an article in Time magazine from the 1950s that alludes to the fact that uh, the children of this generation were taught to be seen and not heard. That's why it's called silent generation. Their trait is to be disciplined and direct. I won't ask you to put your hands up if you're in that one. Baby boomers, so named because of the huge surge in births after World War II. The group sort of starts in 1946 and ends with those born around 1964, uh, when the birth rate began to decline again. Some of these traits are committed, self-sufficient, competitive. Then Generation X, those born between 1965, roughly, and 1980. They grew up in a time when technology was advancing fast, bypass some of the Generation X's. This generation straddles both the digital and the non-digital world. There you go. And understands the importance of both. They are resourceful and logical. And then there are millennials. And and, uh, the scholars are not entirely certain when this generation starts and ends, Uh, But approximately those born from 1980 to 1995, they are confident and curious. And then you have Generation Z or Generation Z, depends how you look at it, or sometimes called the iGen. Born between 1995 and 2000, we can safely say this group is young (laughs) and has never known life without tech. That's why it's called the iGen sometimes. Ambitious, confident, confident. And I like this sort of digital natives. But Dr. Abramson says this it's important to note that while these separations can be useful and these traits can be useful, at the end of the day, we are all individuals. We do not have to fall into any stereotype. So I'm suggesting that we be a different generation, the J generation corny, isn't it? Jesus' generation. That we can all be part of the Jesus' generation. In fact, chapter 3 of Genesis uh, actually looks back to probably the original Gen X, the Exodus generation that came out of slavery in Egypt. And he contrasts Gen X to the Jesus' generation. And whoever the author is encourages us to be different from the generations that have gone before. Gen J is characterized by a love for Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also a passion to share in Jesus and to share Jesus with others. So we're studying this letter to the Hebrews. We don't know the writer We don't know uh, the address to where it's written, maybe for safety reasons, because persecution was increasing more and more. And in fact, the people who are being written to here are experiencing a kind of double persecution because there's double uh, persecution under the state of the Roman Empire, but there's also persecution coming from Jerusalem, the old wineskin. And under this persecution, some of the believers were tired, weary, disheartened. And maybe, and it comes through this message, that maybe some were asking the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it following Jesus? Some may have been saying, like the original Gen X, the Exodus generation, Weren't we better off before? <laughs> but the writer goes straight in. Yes, he's worth it because he talks about Jesus. Yes, he is worth it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's the recurring three theme throughout this message that sounds like a sermon rather than a written letter. He comes back to this again and again and again. It's clear that the author loves Jesus. Chapter 1 opened with one of the wonderful description of our glorious Lord Jesus, who is the Son, the Heir, the Creator, the glorious Savior. Persecuted believers are strengthened by looking at Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 1, fix your thoughts on Jesus, our Apostle and High Priest. Chapter 12, verse 2, that we'll get to at some point. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Last week, David spoke from these first six uh, verses of chapter 3, and he ended his message with uh, uh, an address to, and he used a. Tongue twister. I had to write it down. He spoke to the shifted, the sifted, and the shaken, which I thought was brilliant, by the way. And if you've not heard that message, it's available on uh, SoundCloud. But he encouraged all those who were either shifted, sifted, and shaken that we are called by God, and we have been set apart By God to be His holy people, brothers and sisters, called to be part of God's plans and purposes. And so were the people that the writer is addressing here in in this uh, message to the Hebrews. They were shaken, they were being sifted, and maybe they were even being shifted. The focus of chapter 1 was the supremacy of Jesus, the superiority of Christ far above all things, far above angelic beings, including the bad ones, Satan and all his cohort. Jesus is far above them all. Chapter 2, though, focused on the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus was truly God, yet truly man that his suffering and his death although a stumbling block to some and foolishness to others was the means of our salvation and then we come to chapter 3 and he contrasts Moses and Jesus and then he gives this warning to be a different generation first the contrast between Moses and Jesus Jesus is better than Moses Moses was great But Jesus is greater. Moses, if you remember, if you've read any of the stories in the Bible about Moses, how when he met with God, his face shone as he came down from a meeting with God. It shone with the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. The radiance of God's glory. The disciples saw Jesus transfigured. It was one of the most amazing things. Just a few of them on that mountaintop, and they saw Jesus in his glory. And who was there? Moses and Elijah. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who's fulfilled the law completely. The only one, and he did it for us. And he offers his perfect life for our imperfect ones. Moses is described as a servant in God's house. Jesus is the son through whom and on whom the house is built and being built. Moses was told to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. So, when death came, that last plague, it would pass over. Jesus is the lamb of God who was slain. His blood brings the new covenant. As we remember when we share communion, he says, this is the new covenant sealed in my blood. That when we trust in Jesus... No need for other sacrifices. Jesus has made the ultimate sacrifice. We trust in him and his blood cleanses us of all sin, but also assures us of eternal life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is our creator, our king, our great high priest, our prophet, our apostle. Moses was great, but Jesus is greater. So the warning is, why would you want to go back? You may think it's safer, but it's not. He addresses that generation that hardened their hearts in the wilderness. A generation that fell into unbelief. So what generation will you be? He quotes from Psalm 95. It's the psalm I read at the beginning. It's, it's praise the Lord at the beginning. And then it says, don't harden your hearts. He addresses that generation X, the Exodus generation. Their hearts are always going astray. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today. I love that. As long as it's called today. I'll encourage you tomorrow. No, no, encourage you today. And then tomorrow it will be today. And you know what he's getting at, don't you? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He is referring back to that Generation X The writer is almost certainly a Jewish believer who is a follower of Jesus, loves Jesus. Jesus is at the center and circumference of his life. But it's also a call to a new generation, to be the Jesus generation. Because he now looks back. He's part of a people that had a terrible track record in turning away, in giving in, in giving up. Even as just they'd come out of slavery in Egypt, there were those who saying, "We want to go back." It's too hard here. We had cucumbers and melons and whatever. They grumbled when things got tough. There were a generation of grumblers. They got impatient. When Moses took too long with God, they turned to Aaron and said, we don't know where this fellow's gone. We don't know when he's coming back. Make gods for us. And Aaron says he got some jewelry together, threw it in the fire, and out came a golden calf. Incredible. They had a habit of turning aids to worship into objects of worship. I heard this morning that the children are looking at the Ark of the Covenant, where the Ten Commandments were, yet it it almost became like a talisman for them, a lucky charm, if you had the Ark. Not about faith in God. Or even when God healed them of snake bites in the desert by giving them a bronze statue of a snake. You've read in in later on that they actually called it Nehushtan and offered incense to it as if, if it were a god, a bronze statue of a snake. And when even they came close to the promised land, they feared and they failed because they stopped believing God's promises. They saw giants in the land and not the greatness of their God. See, this generation, what had they seen? The mighty acts of God is what they'd seen. The one who delivered them out of slavery. The one who saved them by the blood of the Lamb at the Passover, the first Passover. The one who had parted the Red Sea. The one who fed and watered them miraculously in the wilderness. That's all they'd seen. And they fell away. And their hearts were hardened. The warning in this passage from the author is, don't turn back, it's not safer. Don't fall away. There's a warning about unbelief. You see, the goal of the Exodus was not just simply freedom from slavery, It was to take possession of the land. And it was to be a blessing to the whole world. Their vision was too small. And even that they lost sight of. It's a warning about their hearts. Don't become hard-hearted. That's something we all have to guard and watch. This is not just other generations. Through the history of the church, the church has become hard-hearted and lost its vision and lost its way and has to be called back again and again and again. I've met people who have said to me that they've lost their faith and that's really sad. We'll hear a bit more about that when we get to chapter 6. But sometimes I ask, where did you lose it? What happened? What have you actually lost? Do you not believe in Jesus anymore? And they say, no, no, no. Still believe in Jesus. I say, you haven't lost your faith. And often when you go down into it, what they've lost is their first love for Jesus which is a dangerous place to be, do you read Revelation? Because when you lose your first love for Jesus, you lose so much more. I understand that sometimes it's just hardship, circumstances of life, disappointment, persecution even, or hurt, where people lose that first love. Or maybe it's not losing love for Jesus, but it's lost love for the people of God. Or lost love for the church of God. And I understand that too. Sometimes people get hurt by churches. And as a church leader, I apologize if you've ever been hurt by church. It should not be the case. But it had nothing to do with Jesus. And if it causes people to stop praying or reading the Bible or being in fellowship, there's something else that's been lost. Called to be a generation that loves Jesus with all our hearts where we practice those spiritual disciplines that we know feed us and encourage us. Every Sunday morning, I hope that you're encouraged as you come and gather and you hear something from the Bible and you can pray and you can worship and you can look around and say to each other, go for it. Encourage one another, cheer one another on in the Christian walk. That's what he says in verse 13, encourage one another daily, cheer each other on. So he's encouraging the believers to see the truth and reality of Jesus, keep that central, that focus, and prove that genuineness of faith in their refusal to look for anything else other than Jesus. not always easy. This was a people that were under persecution. If I were to ask you a question that you couldn't answer, sorry, what would you do to escape persecution? We can't answer it. We, we haven't been there. You don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think I know, but I don't know. What would you do to escape persecution? The ultimate question, would we give up Jesus? But we are still tempted to give up. Have you not heard that temptation? It's too hard. I'm hurt. It's too much. The devil says, he's taking too long. Where is your God? Where is his kingdom? And we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We'll get to that later as well. That says, he is coming. And Jesus himself says, he is coming soon. And they say, go for it. Don't give up. Be this new generation. We want to pray for soft hearts. Don't let our hearts become hard. Let's not lose our first love. Let's not lose our love for the lost. Let's not stop praying. I know some of us are praying for loved ones who don't yet know Jesus. And it's hard. I know it's hard. Don't give up. Don't give up. Persevere in prayer. We're praying with you. Church is praying with you. And maybe you're not yet a believer. You're here this morning. You're on a journey. It may not be right over the line yet, but you're on a journey. Why else would you be here unless you've been made to be here? Sorry about that if you are. That journey, the destination is Jesus. All other roads lead to a dead end, literally. Literally. But sometimes unbelief comes with a hardness of heart. I love it when we start Alpha and you see the inquiring hearts and minds who want to know. But I've even been on Alpha where people, I know they've come and they don't want to hear. I don't know why they're there. They've probably been forced to come somehow. Sometimes unbelief needs a spiritual shift. I want to tell you a story, may not be relevant but I think I want to tell you it anyway. When Hermia and I and Karis first came to the church we uh, encouraged us to have a weekend away as a church. I invited a couple of guest speakers who had been really influential in a a powerful move of the Holy Spirit uh, throughout London. And they came to speak. And on the first night, as we always do, we pray for our guest speakers. That's polite. So I, I prayed for them, husband and wife team. They both fell to the floor. One just started absolutely shaking on the floor like this. And the other one just started laughing out loud on the floor. And I was looking at them and looking at our wonderful family. And everyone was... And we closed the session and Hermie and I went back to our room and we got on our knees, literally on our knees, and we prayed, Lord, don't let anyone leave. Don't let anyone leave because there was a feeling, you know, this was not going to go well. No one left. The next day there was prayer offered in a side room. And the chap who'd come with his wife. He was not a believer. He came with his wife to the weekend. I knew him fairly well. And he came and sat in the prayer room, but didn't offer for prayer. And the guest speaker went straight up to him, and he said, Be gone unbelief in Jesus' name. And I went, No! No! Another night of prayer coming up. You know what? He crumbled on the spot in floods of tears and gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and has never looked back. Now, I don't recommend that you do this <laughs> to, unless you're certain that God has spoken. But I think you can do it from a distance. We love people into the kingdom. We witness people into the kingdom, but sometimes we just need to shift a spiritual hardness. Wherever it's come from, be gone unbelief in the name of Jesus. We are praying for breakthroughs. We are praying to see the lost saved. That's why we're here. If we're not here to see others come to know Jesus, what's the point? Every time you leave these doors, the church gathered here, wonderful, is still the church scattered. And wherever you go, home, work, school, wherever it is, We're on mission, aren't we, for Jesus? We want to be a different generation. Generation with soft hearts. We're praying for breakthrough. We don't want to become hard-hearted. Even if you have a hint that your heart is getting hard, you must ask, Lord, soften it. And when things get tough, we cheer each other on. The goal of the gospel is not just forgiveness of sins, and that's amazing. Salvation is bigger than that. We are called to something bigger. We're part of a new creation. We're part of a new community of believers. We're going to see the kingdom of God come in all its fullness, whether in my lifetime or or Gen Z's lifetime or. Let's not miss what it truly means to have faith in Jesus. It means choosing a different path, being a different generation, devoting ourselves to the Lord, being part of his plans and purposes. And even if it were to cost everything we had, it would be worth it. Because he is worth it. call is to follow Jesus, that call that comes from heaven, follow the king. Church, don't fall asleep. Wake up. That Exodus generation stopped trusting and they took their eyes off the Lord. They believed a lie instead of the truth. It's an ever-present danger. The challenges we face in the 21st century are different maybe, but some stay the same. There is a challenge to abandon the cross, abandon the truth, abandon the scriptures, abandon the Father's heart. All these things. Downgrade Jesus, and we say no. No. End with a story The tales of medieval battles, there was always a moment when the orderly ranks of archers and cavalry and all the rest were broken, and the fighting concentrates around the king. And that's where the final battle is decided. For us too, the battle today is about taking our place around the king. It's the person of Jesus Christ himself that is the point at issue. Theological battles of the 21st century are not those of the 11th, which divided Catholic and Orthodox. and They're not even the battles of the 16th century with the Reformation. The battle today is a battle about Jesus. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is he the savior of the world? And we are a generation that says, yes, he is. There is no other. The fighting is around the king. He is Lord. Let's be a different generation. Let's be that Jesus generation. Amen? Amen. 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 We're going to worship again. The band again going to come.